Hello, Cross Defense listeners. Pastor Wolfmuller here. Thanks for being a podcast listener. I really appreciate that. Glad to have you as part of the fun. Uh, God be praised. Today we take up Luke chapter 2, the story of Christmas, and just kind of walk our way peacefully through the beautiful garden, which is the text of the Christmas story. We talk about the fear of the angels. We talk about we talk about Bethlehem, and we talk about Jesus being born amongst sacrificial slaughters. We take a look at Hebrews 10. We look at the for you of the Christmas. It's, it's a lot of fun. Let me know what you think about this format, wolfmuller.co slash, slash contact, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Cross Defense. All right. It's your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller here, uh, joining you every week to talk about the Bible and about the joy and the comfort and the peace that it gives to oh, especially today. Uh, we're recording this live from the Tower Studio at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas, uh, and uh, it is Christmas Eve Eve Day. So Merry Christmas Eve Eve Day. Uh, we're just on the cusp of celebrating the joy of the Incarnation. And as that ancient hymn says, uh, when the Savior first revealed His sacred face, that gift that marvelous event that we celebrate at Christmas, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I mean, I can't not, I am just in, I'm knee deep in getting ready for all the Christmas Eve services, and I, and I can't shift, I tried. I said, what's well, the last day in Advent? Maybe I should try to not think about, but I just can't do it. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to, we're going to simply walk through um, the Christmas text from Luke chapter 2. And if we have time, we might shift over to the visit of the wise men in Matthew chapter 3 and see what there is for us to see there because there's so much. Uh, there's so much in the text. Sometimes I feel bad. Well, I didn't say sometimes. I think I always feel bad that the that the sermon uh, on Sunday morning and the Bible class on Sunday morning both just are not, you just don't have enough time to cover all of the richness and the joy that the Lord has for us in the text. But I, I think that, that there's no answer to that problem. I mean, we could spend our whole lives studying a single word of the biblical text and still not exhaust the riches and the joy there. Remember what John said, John the Gospel writer, he said, I suppose uh, all the books, if, if everything that Jesus said and did were written down, that, that there wouldn't be enough space in the world for all the books. And yet he says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. So there's a way that, uh, that, that we just have to limit these things. Otherwise, our, our, our days and our world would be full of it. But we'll take the next hour and walk through the text. And I want to start in Luke chapter 2 with the, with the angels, because the gospel text starts in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 for Christmas. And the days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius, well, I guess we'll start here, when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. So, so it begins, and Luke is pretty handy on this, that Luke is, uh, he's, he's, he's grounding these events in history. Remember, Luke is probably the only Gentile writer in all of the scriptures. Maybe Job might be considered a, a Gentile. Uh, the prophet Job in the Old Testament, but all the rest of the prophets and of the apostles were Jewish, except for Luke, who was Greek physician. Maybe he's from Philippi area. He was living in Troas. Maybe I can't. Maybe he's from somewhere different. I can't remember. 
Uh, but he's very careful to give us the secular rulers of the various events that are happening, both here at the birth of Jesus, also in the book of Acts. In fact, you know, I don't know if you know this, but there was a big deal because Luke would call the different rulers in the different places, like in Philippi or in Corinth or in Malta, he, he called the rulers with different Greek words and people said well what is he doing he's using different words to refer to them maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about but as they've investigated the archaeological evidence they found out that luke was using the precise terms that were part of that that region like it, it's 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 like the example most of the united states you talk about counties until you go down to louisiana and then you talk about parishes well luke is able to grab those subtleties and bring them and he and he's giving us more details than we ever even even knew anyway he, he sets this, he grounds this in the, when the decree from Caesar Augustus goes out that the world should be registered. And so all the Jewish people have to go back to the, seemingly to the town of their ancestry. And this sends Mary and Joseph, who were engaged, uh, and, they, and Mary was expecting. It sends them back to Bethlehem, the hometown of Jesse and King David. So that's where they're going to go. It says, And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, remember, that's a big scandal that the Lord addresses in the Gospel of Matthew. Ma Mary becomes pregnant before her and Joseph had done anything that would lead to pregnancy and so joseph knows that well it's good for us to remember this c.s lewis made this point he said uh you know a lot of times we modern people look back at the bible and they say well look they didn't know that miracles couldn't happen uh, but we know because we're so much smarter than they are but they didn't know that a virgin couldn't become pregnant and so forth. And so they were just kind of ignorant and gullible of how all these things happened. They didn't know that water didn't turn to wine. They didn't know that people didn't raise from the dead. And so, so they're kind of gullible when they talk about all these miracles. Well, the, the point is that if they didn't, if they thought that these things happened all the time, then why would they make a big deal out of them? I mean, if they thought that water always turned to wine, if the dead were always raised, then why would that even be proof that Jesus was the Messiah? And if Joseph didn't know how babies came about, then why was he going to he was going to send away Mary with a certificate of divorce quietly so she wouldn't be ashamed? He, this is the point. They knew these things. We think that we're so smart now at the end of the age. We know all of this great stuff. and Everyone in the ancient world was so ignorant, and that is really arrogant of us. Joseph knew how babies were made and that's why he was going to divorce Mary quietly until the angel came and said hey this baby is a special unique baby by the Holy Spirit don't divorce her okay so Joseph is gonna take Mary and this child under his care and now they're going from Nazareth in the north the town of Galilee down to south to Judea to register now just I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this but I've seen a couple of times uh, cru cruising around the social media in the last few weeks these memes about about how Joseph and Mary were immigrants who were not welcomed. And um, that's just ignorant. I mean, they were going to their own hometown. And they were going to their own hometown because they were going to be registered for tax purposes. I mean, this is not... This is not an immigration story. Now, maybe they, it could be considered immigration when they went down to Egypt. Uh, but they did that because the king was so wicked. And Anyway, 
They go down to Bethlehem, and, they, uh, and, and so that's what's going on. So they go down to Bethlehem uh, to register because of tax purposes. And verse 6, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. It was too crowded. In fact, David's family would have been a huge family, and Bethlehem was a tiny little town. In fact, the tininess of Bethlehem is going to come up a couple of times in the text because remember David was born in Bethlehem but he didn't stay there long he established Jerusalem as his capital and Jerusalem was the city that had the infrastructure to handle all the people Bethlehem was like six miles south and it's a little country town and the whole family of David going down to Bethlehem to register would have been a kind of logistical nightmare well it so happens that they arrive seemingly at night they can't find a place to stay it's it's kind of the government didn't think this thing through. How many people were going to have to go to different places, and so they have to, they have to, they have to go find a warm place to stay. It seems like they go to a cave or a, a manger. A lot of times in the ancient world, they would build a house kind of on the side of a hill. And Bethlehem's very hilly, and so you have kind of a grotto or a cave underneath where the animals slept, and then you'd sort of build your house with a bedroom and the kitchen and everything on top. So the, the animals could actually warm them. So they find a little place to stay, and, and they have to lay Jesus in the manger after he's born. Now, it's an amazing thing for me to consider this. I don't know. I get, now, this is me just sort of reflecting on the facts here. But it's an amazing thing to think about how uh, Bethlehem was an was a agricultural center in this whole region, and especially, and especially regarding the sheep. There was tons of sheep and flocks all around Bethlehem. And there's a couple of reasons. There was, it was pretty good for grazing land. It wasn't good for farming. It was all the hills, so you got to graze. It was pretty good for grazing. But also, there's this other phenomenon. In the hills of Bethlehem, there are hundreds and hundreds of caves everywhere. And what this means is that, and they're still there now. If you, if you go visit Bethlehem and you go out to the hills, you can go to the shepherd's field and you just wander around. You just like, you walk down the street and there's a cave and you walk across over this way. There's another cave, you know. Half of them have gift shops in them, chapels and stuff, candles lit and incense. But there's these caves all over the hills in, in Bethlehem. And what that allowed for is uh, this, this weird phenomenon that the shepherds would be out in the fields by night. In fact, that's what it says next. So let's just, maybe before we move on, make sure we don't need to, there's no place for them in the inn. Maybe, maybe before we move on too quickly, let's just highlight the fact that Jesus comes in this great humility. Um, you know, sometimes it's a good exercise for us when we're reading the Bible is to say, what do we think is going to come next? Like, what do we expect? Before you, before you turn the page, and this might be a fun thing for you to do as you're reading and studying the Bible, before you turn the page, before you go to the next chapter, if you're reading through some history stuff, say, what do I think is going to happen next? And you can be pretty sure that whatever you guess is going to happen next is not the thing that's going to happen next. The Lord is always surprising us. So we could say, okay, God is going to be born as a man, which is already sort of this thing that will blow our minds and continue to blow our minds for all eternity, meditating on this mystery of the faith that God is in our flesh. But then you say, well, what's that going to look like? If God's going to be born, where is he going to be born? How is he going to be born? And I mean, we picture this kind of this, this marble castle with, with this golden fleece diaper. I mean, if it's God in the flesh, surely it's going to have all of these wonderful 
sort of accoutrements around it. But no, the Lord comes and he's laid in a, in a feed trough. It's stunning. You know, he's got, he's got ox saliva on him as a baby. The ox and the donkey get to behold their master there. It's incredible, this humility of Jesus. And, and, and you think, well, that, if that's humble, I mean, just wait. Just wait till you see him lay hands on a leper or just wait until you see him take off his outer robe and wrap a towel around his waist and wash his disciples' feet. And, and if you think that's humble, just wait until you see him beaten and spit on and nailed to the cross. I mean, this humility that starts here in the manger is nothing compared to the humility that he's going to endure for us. Whew. So the humility begins. Okay. But now back to the shepherds, because here's what happens next. And this is a very interesting thing, geographically as well as theologically, because it says in verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And we should stop there and say, Now wait, wait, wait one minute. What are the angels doing outside at night? If you're, if, or the shepherd, sorry. If you're a shepherd, the last place you want to be with your sheep is out in the fields at night. I mean, that's when the bears and the lions and the snakes and the whatever wants to eat your sheep come out at night. So the normal way it would work is you'd go, you'd come and get your sheep, you'd call them by name and you'd take them out of the pen and they'd come out of the door and they, you'd take them out into the fields, out into the hills and the sticks to find some place to eat the, the grass and then you'd let them sit there and eat all day. And then when it's time to come in at night and protect them, you bring them back into town and you put them in the huge pen and you hire some high school kid to stay up all night and watch them so that nothing bad happens. No one steals them and no one breaks in or anything like that. And then in the morning you go and you call your sheep by name and all these sheep all mixed up together hear that your voice and they come and they follow you up and you lead them in and you take them to, to the good pasture and so forth and so on. And that's how, that's how it goes. That's what it was, that's what it was like. You would never would be out in the, in the, at night with the sheep. But Bethlehem was a special place. It had all these caves I was telling you about around it. And what that meant was the shepherds could take their sheep out there and they could wander even further from town. They could go out finding all the good, the good places for, to, for them to browse and the sheep to eat and everything. And then when it got dark, they'd just stuff them into these caves and block off the entrance. And then they could camp out. You know, They could sleep there uh, around the campfire at night and they wouldn't have to go all the way back into town and all the way back out. So that, so that Bethlehem, the hills around Bethlehem, had all these little like natural barns to protect the sheep. And that's what these shepherds are doing out there. Now what this meant was, think about this, it's amazing, is that Bethlehem had, was, was loaded down with sheep, with flocks, uh, with herds, more than the people there could ever have possibly needed. I mean, this little town... They didn't need all these sheep. But, but, six miles north was Jerusalem, where they did need a lot of sheep. I mean, they needed a, a lamb every morning and every evening for the morning, for the matins and vespers sacrifices. They needed sheep for the thank offering and for the sin offering. They needed sheep for the day of atonement. They needed lots and lots of sheep for the Passover for the lambs that would be sacrificed. In fact, there were so, much, so many lambs sacrificed in Jerusalem during the Passover that the blood would run down out of the temple and the Kidron Valley, the, the brook Kidron, would run red with blood from all of the lambs that were sacrificed there. 
Now, just just think about that. Let, let let this dot connect in your own mind that these sheep that the shepherds were looking after, that that they were out in the fields looking looking for and protecting and so forth, that the, these sheep had a pretty good chance of being sacrificed in Jerusalem at the temple for people's sins. Or to connect the dots even tighter, imagine this, that those animals, the ox and the donkey and the sheep that were surrounding Jesus when he was born, when he first revealed his sacred face, that those animals too would end up on the altar as a sacrifice for sin. Now, I, I can't talk about this enough because I think this connection is made explicitly in the scriptures. In fact, if we can one minute. I'm getting the one-minute warning. We'll talk about this when we come back from after the break because Hebrews 10 explicitly makes this connection from the Psalms. It says, The blood of bulls, the sacrifice of bulls and goats you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So that when Jesus is born, when Jesus is born, he is, he is born about uh, the business of being the sacrifice for our sins. Well, more on that and then the fear of the shepherds when we come back from this break. Stay tuned. You're listening to Cross Defense, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Quick break. We'll be right back. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Daily Chapel serves those who serve the Lord to be receivers of the Word and to remember where our true help is found. Hear God's Word read, preached, confessed, and sung in the broadcast of Daily Chapel from the LCMS International Center in St. Louis weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. The broadcast of Chapel is underwritten by LCMS International Mission and Ministry to the Armed Forces. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. So the carol goes. Every Christmas we are reminded of our true love and what He has given us as He took on human flesh to rescue us. This Christmas season, we celebrate that with you for the full 12 days of Christmas on KFUO. Enjoy beautiful Christmas music, scripture readings, and greetings from our missionaries, military chaplains, and other servants of Christ. The 12 days of Christmas, Christmas to Epiphany on KFUO. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. Welcome back to Cross Fence. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfinger, Pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches here in Austin, Texas. Drop by and see us uh, anytime, really. But, whoo, got some nice Christmas things planned. 
I said to the guys downstairs, I said, let's make this Christmas Eve bulletin the best bulletin in the history of Christmas Eve bulletins. I think they did it. It's kind of nice. Anyhow, uh, we're talking about Luke chapter 2, but I want to talk about Hebrews chapter 10 because we have this little mystery here, this little kind of riddle in the middle of Hebrews 10, which is about what we're talking about. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, which I told the ladies group around here at church that this is my favorite Christmas text. And they said, what? Pastor, you're crazy. It's not a Christmas text. Anyway, it goes like this. Hebrews 10, 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, Christmas, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offering and in sin offering you take no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. He goes on to say, When he said above, You have neither desired or taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will... We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In other words, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. The sacrifice of the lambs on the altar cannot restore us to God. But the death of Jesus came, can, and that's why he came. He came to be the sacrifice for sin. He came to die for us. He came to be our substitute. He came to, to take upon all the punishment that we deserve and to carry it to the cross. And to do that, he needed our humanity. He needed our mortality. He needed flesh to be pinned to the cross. He needed blood so that he could spill it. He needed all these things to accomplish our redemption. And the blood of bulls and goats, the blood of lambs, the blood of, of, of all, all these animals that were offered in the Old Testament, all of these were not taking away sins, but rather they were preaching the taking away of sins that would be accomplished by the Messiah, by the death of Jesus. They were preaching those things to us, to the people of the Old Testament, and so forth. It's fantastic. So, so, when Jesus is born, he's born surrounded by animals who would end up on the altar in Jerusalem. In other words, he was born precisely in the right place. And there, at his birth in the manger, and at the announcement in the fields to the shepherds, indicates the very purpose for which he had been born, is that he would be the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. That's the beautiful preaching of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God. This is, the, this is the Old Testament doctrine of the scapegoat where the priest would put his hands on the head of the lamb and he would confess all the sins of the people and then that lamb would be driven off and over the cliff or whatever out of town because, because the Lord was accepting the death of another in my place. In fact, that's the simple way to read all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament. I mean, whenever the, the, the Hebrew was commanded to bring an altar to the sacrifice in Jerusalem, they knew that that lamb... That turtle dove, that ox, that that didn't sin, I sinned. And yet the Lord is accepting the death of another in my place. Which is what he does. I mean, he accepts the death of another. Dear friend, you're listening. He accepts the death of another in your place. I know you should be the one to die. I know. I know that you've sinned. 
I know that you've made mistakes. I know that you've exalted yourself to the place. I, I know that because the Bible tells me that you've done it and that I've done it too. All of sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is good. No, not one. I know that you deserve God's anger. And yet he accepts the death of another. He accepts the death of his son in your place. That's the preaching of the sacrifice. Now, now back to Luke chapter 2. You with me? The same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. We talked about that weird thing because of all those caves and everything. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. It doesn't just say, by the way, that they were afraid. They were filled with fear. There's nothing left but fear overflowing to the brim. Good to the last stop. Fear overflowing with fear. <laughs> We, have to, we want to stop there. I've, I've been thinking about this. I think this might wake, make its way into one of the sermons for Christmas Eve. So before we get Christmas, before we really truly understand Christmas, we have to be a little bit afraid. Afraid of what? These guys are obviously not afraid of the dark. <laughs> it's the light that they're afraid of. I mean, if anybody, if there's anybody who's going to be just kind of in general not afraid, it's going to be your night duty with the sheep in the fields kind of shepherds. Those guys, I mean, those are the tough guys. But the glory of the Lord shines, and they're afraid. Now, this happens in the Bible over and over that God shows up or God's angels show up or the kingdom, the throne room of God is peeled back and the first thing that happens is we're afraid. But it wasn't like that all the time. In fact, this fear of the shepherds probably takes us back to the very beginning because remember how it was when God created Adam and Eve to be in his presence and to sing his praises and to rejoice in his goodness. But Adam and Eve fell. They did what God forbade them to do. They ate the tree in the midst of the garden, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of being like God, taking God's place. And then what happens? Well, first they realize they're naked, and they say, no problem. We can fix this. After all, we're like God. We know how to fix problems now. We know how to make everything right. Let's make some, let's make some clothes. You got any fig leaves? Which are the weirdest choice? I mean, if you just seen a fig leaf, you'd think that Adam and Eve might have gone for like the banana leaf or some of the fig leaf. Anyway, they take the fig leaves and they make their and they make their clothes to cover the shame of their nakedness. And now we get to the place where I can make my only theological joke I've ever written. I'm sure I've told you this because I only have ever written one good joke in my life. Well, one mediocre, one half good joke in my life, and it has to do with this. Adam and Eve make their fig leaves close, and Eve comes out from behind the bushes, and she says to Adam, how do you like my dress? These are my, these are my fall colors. <laughs> Just wait for it. See, that's my joke. It's fall, get it? Fall into sin, fall, leaves, fall. Mm. Anyhow. Adam likes them. I mean, Adam is pretty impressed with the outfit that Eve made, and Eve is 
pretty impressed with Adam. They're not ashamed of their nakedness anymore. They've actually covered their nakedness. And in the fig leaves, we want to see a picture of every world religion, every attempt by man to cover his own shame and his own nakedness. And we think that we've done it until what happens? They hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve, like the shepherds, are afraid. Afraid of God. Afraid of the one who loved them and who created them and who, who built the world for them and who sustained their lives and who gave them everything that they needed. They're afraid. And Adam and Eve run and they hide in the bushes with the devil there. It's amazing. And God comes and he finds them. And he curses the ground and he curses the snake and he promises the death of his son, Jesus. And he takes an animal, maybe a sheep, who knows. And he slaughters it and he takes the hide and he covers Adam and Eve with the blood, with the skin, with the death to hide their shame. Now this fear, the fear of the glory of God, the fear of the presence of God, the fear of the holiness of God, this is our, this is our basic human condition. Because as long as the glory of God is not shining, we think that we're doing okay. As long as the light of God's holiness is not illuminating our own lives and our own consciousness, we can keep up the illusion that we've got things under control, that we're good, that we're, that we're making it. that we're not ashamed or whatever. But as soon as the glory of God shines, then there's only one thing to do. And it's to be afraid. You know, there's all this talk these days about, you know, people talking about how they want to be spiritual but not religious and they want to have these kind of transcendent experiences and the experience of the divine presence and all this sort of stuff. And we have to say, now, wait a minute, that is not safe. Every time people see God in the Old Testament or they see the glory of God, they fall on their face and they're afraid because they realize that, that, that in the light of God's glory, this this facade of our own goodness and our own holiness and our own keeping it together, it just breaks down. And in the, in the light that the glory of God, that, that, that it shines upon our own light, our own lives, our own hearts, our own consciences, and, and, the, and the things that we do and think and say, when that light shines, then there's only one thing that we can be, and it is afraid, absolutely terrified because the light shows us for how for who we are for what we are sinners 
Jesus, John chapter 1 says it like this, the light came into the world, but the men loved the darkness more than the light because their deeds were evil. It's easy to get away with sin in dark because nobody can see you, but when the light comes on, and the glory of God throws the light on, and it's terrifying. If you're going to get to the good news of Christmas, you've got to go through the bad news of your own sin, of the fact that you are living a sham. I mean, me too. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself here. This, this idea that we've, all, that we've got it together, that we're in control, that we're good, that we're somehow righteous, this argument, this argument that we try to make, that we are righteous, that we are holy, that we have somehow accomplished it, that we deserve to go to heaven because whatever, we're better than average, or we, at least we try hard. This is a, when the light comes on, it shows it for what it is. And the shepherds were filled with fear. I mean, just to think that, that there's going to be one day pretty soon for all of us that we're going to die, our heart's going to stop, or whatever. We're hit by a bus, or the disease will catch up to us, or who knows what. And then the light will shine. You'll stand before the face of God. There'll be nothing hidden. Everything will be revealed. That day is coming. And there's no, and there's no way to escape the terror of it. You know, we, we, you might, we might clamor for the injustice of it, but Romans tells us about the judgment of God. And, and, and this picture kind of has been haunting me lately. I think we've talked about it here on this show, the idea. This, if you could just imagine that, you have, that the Lord has put on each one of us a tape recorder, and every time we judge someone or condemn someone or say something, express some sort of standard, that it clicks on and it records it. And then finally we go to stand before God and he says, okay, now I'm going to judge you by the Ten Commandments. You say, that's not fair, Ten Commandments. I don't even believe in those. And the Lord says, okay, fine, I'll judge you by your own standard. And he pulls out that tape recorder and he just plays back every, everything that you've said, every judgment that you've made against someone else. And who is going to stand on that day? If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? I mean, you just collapse under the weight of it all, under the weight of your sin, under the weight of corruption, under the weight of it. But look to us and to the shepherds who are collapsed there in fear. Look what happens. Look at, I'm now in verse 10. They were filled with fear and the angel said to them, fear not. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Oh, this is so amazing. I mean, there's so much here. We, this is just days worth of stuff to talk about. Fear not. The angel says, don't be afraid. All these things that you are afraid of, all these things that make you afraid, don't be afraid because there is now one who is the Savior. 
The reason why we're not to be afraid anymore is not because we can save ourselves. The angels don't, don't say, hey, don't be afraid. We've got a way for you to fix this. Hey, don't be afraid. We've got a way for you to get out of this problem. Hey, don't be afraid. We've got something to strengthen you so you can save yourself. Hey, don't be afraid Don't because we've got something for you to do. No, don't be afraid because why? Because there is, there's a rescuer. There's a deliverer. There's a savior who has been born today, and he's right down the street, and he is a savior for you. That God has now come, and he's come not for the purpose of destroying you, not for the purpose of giving you what you deserve, not for the purpose of handing you over to his wrath, not for the purpose of, of executing his justice on you to make the world right. No, he has come for the purpose of saving you, rescuing you, delivering you. His name is Jesus, which means the Lord saves his people from their sins, so that these sins in which you sit in darkness and which separate you from the life of God and, and even from your own life as a, as a human being, that the Lord has come to rescue you from this and set you free. And he says, the angel says in this sermon over and over, two of the most beautiful words. In fact, Luther, I think, I think Luther says this. It's not, if he didn't, it sounds like something he'd say. He says that the two most important words in the sermon of the angels are not the words, the Savior, not the words, the city of David, not the words, uh, Christ the Lord, but the words, for you. The words, for you. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Oh, these breaks. You're listening to Cross Defense. I'm Pastor Brian Wolf. We're going to a quick break now, and we'll be right back to talk about those most precious words that the angels preached to the shepherds, the words for you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Welcome back to Cross Defense. Christmas is for you. That's what we're talking about. We're walking through Luke chapter 2. I'm Pastor Brian Wolf, your host, by the way. Thanks for joining us. We're just walking through the... Ah, oh, there's so much here. It's... Ah, oh, we're running out of time. That's all right. We'll just... I mean, maybe you guys let me know. By the way, wolfmuller.co, that's a website where there's a bunch of theology and you can give me feedback. There's a contact button. Let me know what you think about, about this. Just We never just done this, sort of open the text and walk through it. I'm having a good time. We're running out of time again. And I can't see your faces. That's one of the problems with radio. I mean, it's one of the blessings of radio for you guys that you don't have to look at my face. But it's a problem that I can't see your face. If you're, if you're falling asleep while you're driving down the road or if you're really enjoying it, sitting there taking notes, pulled over at the, at the truck stop, taking notes because you love it, I can't tell. So let me know what you think. Anyway, the, Luther says that the two most important words in the sermon of the, of the shepherds is these words for you. Now, let's just illustrate, illustrate how these words work because I remember... Uh, one time someone gave me these two sentences and they said, I want you to compare the two sentences. Number one, there's a million dollars in the bank. Okay. 
Maybe I thought there was more. It's interesting. It doesn't really matter that much. So now let me give you the second sentence. There's a million dollars in the bank for you. Now that is an entirely different sentence, is it not? <laughs> for you. Those words, I mean, that goes from maybe a somewhat interesting fact to something that's going to change my life. Now that is how we, that we need to... We need to hone in on that preaching of the angels because look at what they say. I mean, listen to how many times the angels use the word you for the shepherds. I bring, the angel said, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. <laughs> it's, it's for you. This baby in a manger, it's for you. It's not for, I mean, this might be interesting. There's a baby in a manger. This might be more interesting. There's, a, there's God in the manger. This might be even more interesting. There's a Savior born. But here is where it matters. Here is where it changes everything. For you, for you, there's a baby. For you, there's a Savior. For you is God in the flesh. <laughs> Do you see the difference? This is not a, some sort of abstract historical fact. This is the thing that changes everything for you and for me. Because we could not save ourselves. We could not be our own Savior, our own Deliverer, our own Christ, our own Lord. We were under the dominion of sin and death and the devil until Christ came and claimed us as his own. Until this Savior was born to be the King of Kings, the everlasting God. Until Jesus, we were doomed. We were dead. We were in bondage, in darkness. But now the Savior has come. And this is good news for everybody who sits in fear, in this rightful fear of our own sin and our own death. For you, the angel says, there is good news. Now that good news, that word good news there is the word for gospel, oiangelion, which means good news. <laughs> That's what the word means. But, but it's important for us, well, maybe not important, but it's fun for us to consider where that word comes from. The word, the word comes from especially the military uh, circumstances of the ancient world. And, and the way it would go is this, is that you've got to imagine that, that, that you're, you're sitting there in your town or your village or whatever, and it's time for war. And so, and so the, all the husbands, the fathers, they pack up their swords and their pikes and their everything else to go off to war. And they, and they march off down the street and they go off to war. And, you, and they're fighting. You can't see the fight. There's no you know, on the ground reporters or anything like that. But the battle's happening. You maybe can smell it. You can maybe, you know, see, see the smoke going up. But you don't know who wins until the battle's over. And then someone's going to run from the battle, run as fast as they can, and they're bringing news back. And it's either going to be good news or bad news. And it matters. I mean, what that news is matters for you. It matters because if he comes back with good news, then that means your husband or your child, your son, your friends, your neighbors are coming back with the spoils of war. Or if they lost, it means that you better pack up the babies and head for the hills. 
Because because if uh, if it's bad news, if that victory was lost, then it's the enemy soldiers that are coming to town next. And so that oion gelion, that's the word for the for the runner that runs back. Remember the ancient the marathon, how that whole thing started. There was the battle of marathon, and then the dude ran for twenty six point two kilometers, and he announced the victory of the Athenians over the whoever they were fighting at Mar was the Persians or something, and then he collapsed and died. And we said, oh, if you run twenty. 6.2 kilometers or miles or whatever, then you fall over dead. So that's what we should do every year. <laughs> anyway, he came and he announced the good news. And that's what the gospel is. It's the good news that the war has been won, that the victory is ours, that the spoils are ours, that our Lord has conquered in the fight and the fight was his death and his resurrection and he has won for you so the one that's coming back the one that's coming over the hill is not the enemy coming to destroy you but the Lord who has won the victory for you who's coming to give you all the spoils of the victory the angel says we have good news for you and you're going to find the good news, and you're going to see the good news, and you're going, to, you're going to touch the good news, you're going to hold the good news when you go into Bethlehem, and you go into the manger, and you, into, the, into the stall, into the barn, and you look in the manger, and you see the baby there. Now, there's a direct connection to this part of the text and the very end of the Gospel of Luke. Remember when the when the gospel is winding down towards the end, after Jesus has been crucified, it says they took him off the cross and they wrapped him in clothes and they laid him in the tomb. The sentence has almost the same exact structure as we, as we just read here, that Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. In other words, this baby is the one destined to be on the cross for our sins. It is said somewhere that Martin Luther said that the wood of the the wood of the manger is cut from the same tree as the wood of the cross. I heard Al Mohler give a version of that uh, on his show the other day. Now I don't think Luther actually said it. At least not. I have not been able to find the reference for that. If you know the reference for that quotation, that'd be great. I think it's one of these things where. <laughs> If everything that Luther, if everything that people say Luther said was written down, we don't couldn't fill the book. The world would be filled with the books of it. I mean, it's kind of one of those things. But the idea is there: is that Jesus comes precisely to be the one to 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 die for us. His birth points directly to his death. His his lying in the manger points directly to his lying in the tomb. And so the angel says, I have good news. Now, part of the good news is that is in, in all these names that he has of Jesus. For in the city of David, the Savior is Christ and the Lord. So Savior means the one to deliver us, and specifically to deliver us from sin and death. That's what the name Jesus means. Yahsus, Yahweh saves. Is a, it's a, it's a, a Hebrew version. Yahshua is, is the Hebrew thing. It means the Lord saves. And then he is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one promised from the very beginning who would deliver the people. And then the Lord, that is the Redeemer, the one who would pay the price to have us in his kingdom, who would be the Lord of lords and the King of kings. So that this baby is Christ and Lord and Savior. 
Quite stunning. And then, <laughs> look at what happens. There's one angel, seemingly, who is preaching the sermon. And then all the other angels were ready. And as soon as the sermon is finished, the, the heavens, the sky rolls back. And the, and it's, and the sky is around the hills of Bethlehem is full of all of these angels. And they're singing this glorious song. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Suddenly there was, can you imagine if that's what happened first, by the way? I mean, you thought the shepherds were scared singing one angel. <sighs> Suddenly there was, with an angel, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts. So what's a host is a, is a, a, a uh, like a battalion, you know. So there's a multitude of battalions of angels. And they're praising God and they're saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. <laughs> what a song. I mean, this, this is wonder after wonder here in the text. Again, I guess we mentioned Luther again. He said that these angels are the, are the best theologians and that this song contains the purpose of all of theology. Now, how is that? I remember a few years back. Hmm, how long ago was this? 20? Yeah, about 20 years ago. I was still at seminary. Maybe it was 18 years ago. I was still at the seminary. And I was, I was just trying to get my head around the Lutheran idea of theology. I mean, it's one thing to know the specifics. Like, hey, here's what we say about baptism, and here's what we say about free will, and here's what we say about election, and so forth. It's one thing to know those things. But I, want to get the, I wanted to try to get my head around the idea, you know, the kind of the, the, the spirit of Lutheran theology. Like, what's, re, what's really going on here? So I read through the Book of Concord with that in mind. The Book of Concord, if you don't know, is this old Lutheran collection of ten different writings that becomes the standard for what the Lutheran church believes and what Lutheran pastors promise to teach and so forth. And it's really wonderful. I mean, if you haven't read it, everyone I've given the book to has said, wow, why didn't I get this before? It's great. So I was reading through the Book of Concord, trying to get the, the, the kind of sense of these guys as they were talking. And something jumped out to me over and over again. The, the reason why they were fussing about the doctrine was twofold. The, the, the early Lutheran fathers, this would be Luther and Melanchthon and, and Chemnitz and Hollitz and not, not, not Hollitz, but um, uh, the guys who were writing uh, Selnecker and the guys who were uh, Hermann, the guys who were writing the Formula of Concord. They all had this kind of idea. They said, if you get the doctrine wrong, it does two things. It takes glory from God and it takes comfort from sinners. If you, for example, get the doctrine of original sin wrong, and you say that, hey, we're good enough to love God with our own resources, then, then God loses the glory of being the Savior, and we lose the comfort of knowing that he's the one who saves us. Or if you get the gospel wrong, or you start mixing up our works with, the, with salvation, or anything like this, what happens is that the glory of God is diminished because we're taking some glory for ourselves, and the comfort that the Lord wants to have from us is taken away from us. And I saw that there's kind of a... It's like a glory comfort seesaw. If God gets all of the glory, then the comfort comes down to us. But if we take some of the glory for ourselves, then we start to lose the comfort. If, for example, salvation becomes not only what God has done for me in Christ, but also something that I've done or chosen or helped with, then, then I might get some of the glory, but I start to lose the comfort. So that the true 
teaching, the true scriptural biblical doctrine is going to give all glory to God and all comfort to sinners. And that's exactly what the angels preach. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That when we get the doctrine of Christmas right, that this baby, this baby Jesus, born and laid in a manger, born in Bethlehem, scuttled to Egypt to save his life, brought back to Nazareth, raised with his family, teaching and healing and arrested and crucified and died and laid in a tomb and raised on the third day that this one here, that this is God in the flesh to save us. And that our salvation is found completely, totally, and utterly outside of ourselves in Him. When we get this mystery of Christmas right, then all glory goes to God and peace comes to us. Now, there's a lot of things that we got to wrestle with at Christmas. We, we think of all those who are not here with us this year who died and are gone. We think about the nostalgia and joy of Christmas past and how things are different now. There's a lot of things that we have to wrestle with, but this is what the Lord wants us to have. The utter confidence that He is our brother in order to be our Savior. Listen to what the angel said to you who are afraid. Fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. May this peace be yours in Christ. And Merry Christmas. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks after the Christmas break. And God's peace be with you. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. Hey, podcast listeners, thanks for sticking through all the way to the end. I'd really love to hear your thoughts about this new format, just walking through the text. I had a lot of fun, but I want to know what you thought. I think we might do it again next time we're on with Epiphany. Uh, just to rejoice in the visit of the wise men. So stay tuned for that. Have a great Christmas break. God's peace be with you.